It's the Skinny Podcast, only on Local12.com. Now, here's Richard Skinner. Welcome into the Skinny Podcast. It's the weekly Pope edition. I'm Richard Skinner, Local12.com digital sports columnist and editor with Rick Roaring. Each and every week, we look at sports topics of local interest, some national sports topics. We've got a gambling segment that's back in full force and ready to roll through the college basketball season, and it starts this week. We'll keep track of our record. We're pretty transparent when we're bad. We're pretty proud of ourselves when we're good. And some questions for me with the hashtag Ask Skinny Anything. As always, this is brought to you by Ryan Kiefer of Prime Lending. Rick, um, I'll, I'm going to start the podcast with this, and I've got a story on this. I think I've told it on the podcast before, but um, if not, this will be a new one. But Art Schleister, uh, the former <laughs> Cincinnati right. Rockers quarterback, has been released from prison, and I'm glad for that. I just hope he doesn't go scam somebody else. And I'll start off with my own personal Art Schleister story of almost getting scammed myself, where um, he and I used to do a, 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 a in-house show, actually a radio show at an establishment in Cincinnati. And he would he would pay me. Uh, they would pay him and he'd pay me out of his own pocket. He'd give me a crisp hundred dollar bill when I show up. And it was a good relationship. We had a nice little tandem partnership there. I, I was covering him when he was the quarterback of the Rockers. I, I, I knew of Art's issues, but I also liked Art. And he was very, very good at talk radio. And so um, Art decided, he said, hey, man, can you do me a favor? He said, I've got this check for three grand. He goes, if you cash it, he goes, I'll pay you a grand up front. Just give me the other two. Okay. Getting ready to close on, on our, our house, which we're still in 30 plus years later. Um, and so we had transferred some money to the checking account. I thought, I'll just cash it against that. Well, lo and behold, I silly me, the check bounced. And of course, then that comes against our account, which had the money in it to close on the house. And... So Art's, you know, I told him, you know, you scam me. I want my money. And he kind of dragged his feet. And finally, um, my wife threatened to call the FBI on him if he didn't give me my money. So I was doing a Saturday show with another guy at the time. So I'm in there one Saturday. He rolls in with a big wad of 10s and 20s, gave me my two grand back, but all in 10s and 20s. Can you imagine what that wad looked like? So I, I can I, only I imagine. Spot, I mean, I, I and I know there's probably some people listening that are that are that hopefully you didn't get scammed. I know a couple of people who did. Um, they fought hard to get their money back. I mean, he was quite the operator. Um, I hope he's, you know, he's 60, 61 years old now getting out of prison. His life is is never going to be what he had hoped it was going to be. And uh, I, I, I do wish him the best. But uh, when I I, I was listening to a, a show yesterday when I heard that he had been released from prison and I just started chuckling to myself and thinking about. 30 years ago and getting scammed out of a couple grand that I finally got back in tens and twenties. Yeah. Well, that's the funny thing. The first thought that popped into my head, as soon as I saw that news come across was skinny's guy. That's his, <laughs> that's his dude. And first of all, that's... I was like, am I, am I getting replaced on the podcast? And yes, and then, right. right. <laughs> second of all, I was like, should we have him on the podcast? Like, can we reach out to art and just get him you know on? Here? I bet he'd do it. You know what? He might do it. That's actually a thought. That is <laughs> a, a hell thought. of a get. He'd be good in the gambling segment. I think Yeah, he would. I feel like George Costanza, go against everything he says. He could really share some of the pitfalls of uh, yes, what yeah. happens if you go too far down this road. Yes, yes, indeed. And he went uh, way too far down that road for sure. <laughs> All right. Well, let's jump right into it. We've got a long show, a lot of topics to get here, so I won't waste any more of the people's time. But college football season is here. We're recording this on Thursday morning. We've got some fun games to get to tonight, more on Friday, and then a huge slate of games on Saturday. So let's start with college football talk. And I've got some questions about each of the local teams. We'll start with the Cincinnati Bearcats. Skinny, do you think it's more likely that Cincinnati goes undefeated and makes the college football playoff 
or that they lose more than three games and miss out on the AAC championship? Yeah, no, I'm, I'm going to go with the, the undefeated. Um, I, I think this team is fully capable of doing it. This, this to me is a, is a down year in a way for Notre Dame, not like down three and nine down, but you know, not 11 and one, 10 and two Notre Dame. In my opinion, this feels like an eight and four ish Notre Dame team. It's it has to make up for the graduation loss of Ian book. And he was a huge part of their, their football team. They lost a handful of other guys. Um, I do know, you know, look, Indiana's building a nice time. Allen's building a nice program at Indiana, but they're still not blue blood elite by any stretch. Um, so I think they've got a golden opportunity to run this table. So I, I'm going to say I lean more towards that than them losing, uh, you know, three or more games. I, I don't, can they lose a game or two? Sure. Could they lose to Notre Dame and Indiana both? Yes. Could they maybe lose one more in conference? Yeah, maybe, but I don't see much more than that. If, if at all. And I, I see them running the table. How about you? The most likely scenario to me is that they split the Notre Dame and Indiana game. Yep. They end up fair. with one loss. They don't get into the college football playoff, obviously, with that resume, but they have a great season. They're ranked top 20, top 15, at least all year, and they go to a nice bowl game, a New Year's Six bowl game. That's my expectation, what I think will is most likely to happen, but that's not one of the options here. So if I have to choose between these two, I'd say we'll know more after tonight on Thursday night here, get a look yeah, at yeah. Uh, UCF and, and yep. where they're at as, as a challenger to UC, but I don't think anybody in the American is good enough to take the American championship away from UC. I just don't see that happening. This team is too deep, too complete. They've got too many known commodities coming back. I mean, there's a few spots, a few position groups where you're like, oh, they're a little unproven there. But for the most part, on the whole, this team is very proven. You know exactly what to expect from them. I don't see them losing the AAC championship. Yeah. And the point you made about their depth, um, you know, usually that's what gets teams, uh, you know, the the UCs or the, or the UCFs or even the Boise's is a, a catastrophic injury to one main guy just seems to throw everything out of kilter. I think UC can withstand some of that stuff. Like I know they can withstand some of that stuff. Um, so, yeah, I, I think that's going to factor into the, the the overall team depth, too. So, yeah, I I, I, I am. I'm excited for, for, for UC fans and, and um, they've had a record number of season ticket sales. Uh, I think they've already sold the Temple game out. For some odd reason, I don't know why that was the one that's been sold out, or maybe a couple others are too. But um, obviously, fans are excited for it, and, and rightfully so. It's 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 an exciting time if you are a UC Bearcat fan for sure. All right, let's move to Kentucky. The Wildcats finished five and six overall last year, four and six in the regular season, all against SEC opponents, and then won their yeah. bowl game against North Carolina State. The Wildcats finished fourth in the SEC East. They have seven starters returning on offense and five on defense. Skinny, do you think they can improve on their fourth place finish in the SEC East last year? I do. Um, I think there's an outside chance they finish. They can finish second. I think they they have they have a chance to beat Florida at home. Uh, they got Florida there. I, I'm not telling you they're going to, but I think they have a real legitimate chance. And if they do, then to me they're clearly the second best team in the East. I mean, South Carolina is starting a grad assistant at quarterback. Um, that's that's crazy to me that he's gone from grad assistant to starting quarterback within the last week. Vandy is Vandy. I think Tennessee, we're going to see them tonight against Bowling Green. We're probably not going to know a lot about them because it's Bowling Green. But um, nonetheless, I don't think Tennessee's any good. Um, I think Kentucky's better than Missouri, and they've got them in game two next week at home. Um, and then suddenly it's it's down to Kentucky, Florida, and Georgia. I simply don't see any scenario of them beating Georgia. Um, so, yeah, I, I think they've got a chance to be the second best team in the East. And, and, you know, maybe go to a New Year's Six Bowl. And maybe if UC doesn't make the college football playoff, maybe they get a chance to play each other in that New Year's Six Bowl game. Kentucky is not beating Georgia. That's for sure. I don't think 
they can beat Florida either. I think Florida is going to be uh, – Florida lost a lot, obviously, but they're going to be better than you're thinking. Uh, Missouri is an interesting case. They get them at home right. this year. I think UK is going to be in a good spot there. So in terms of can UK improve from last year's fourth-place finish in the East, yeah, I think they can get third in the East. I don't think there's a lot more upside there, though, personally. I don't know. I, I you know, you, you mentioned seven starters back on offense. And you've got a Penn State transfer playing quarterback in Will Levis. Wandale Robinson was a great player at Nebraska, and that's something Kentucky really didn't have last year was a game-breaker on the outside. Wandale Robinson can be that guy. They're going to run the football. It's what they do. It's what they base their whole program on is being able to run it. Um, so I'm really excited to watch the offense. It's a new offensive coordinator, new system. And, and listen, they've, they've played so many guys on defense the last couple of years that, that even though there's only five starters back, there's a bunch of guys who've played snaps on that side of the ball. Um, I'm as excited for this season as I was for the, the, the season a couple of years ago when the, the, the Benny Snell year where they actually did have a chance to play for the SEC East Championship and, and played Georgia at home. And unfortunately, Georgia boat raced them. Um, but still, it was I, I think this team has a chance to be every bit as good as that team was. The interesting part about the offense to me is I'm excited to see what it looks like, too. And I think it, it should be a good change for Kentucky overall. But you've also got the aspect of you've got a new offensive coordinator and no, in that second week you're playing against Missouri, which is one of the games we're talking about. That's kind of going to decide where you're at. So, I mean, if it takes a little bit of time to get things rolling here for the Wildcats on offense, then they could be looking up at some people already. How big of an upgrade do you think Will Levis is going to be at quarterback? Or do you think it's an upgrade? Uh, you know, I didn't see enough of him at Penn state, but everybody in camp, the stories I've read are raving about him and how he is going to be a difference maker. So I'm going to take them at their word because again, I know they're going to be able to run the football. Chris Rodriguez is a great back. That line brings back a first team preseason, all American Darren Kennard and, and, and a couple of other starters. And, and um, you know, they've done a really good job of recruiting and, and cultivating and building offensive linemen and developing offensive linemen. And I go back to Wandale Robinson just being just a, a great weapon on the outside for Will Levis. So, yeah, I mean, I, I, you know, you get a chance to to, to get a, a confidence boost with Louisiana Monroe. And the flip side is if they struggle on offense, then we're all going to go, well, uh-oh, here we go again. But um, I think Will Levis has got to be an upgrade over Terry Wilson. I like Terry. He, he, he won a lot of games, um, did some good things. I, I wish they'd have let him do a few more in, in, in defense of him. You know, they were they were playing offense in a phone booth for the most part. Their passing game was not very sophisticated. I, I'm, I'm really excited to see what this offense can bring. Looking at the schedule, I think there is an argument to be made that this Kentucky team could go nine and three fairly easily because the, the hard part is you've got Florida, LSU and Georgia back to back row. to back. Right. But prior to that, a four and start is not inconceivable i mean they could they could go four and oh against louisiana monroe missouri chattanooga and south carolina with their grand assistant at quarterback and then you end the season with at mississippi state tennessee at vanderbilt new mexico state and at louisville five very winnable games sure. now no, are right, you going to win right. all of them maybe not probably not but it's legitimate i mean if this team really gets things rolling especially if they can go 4-0 through those first four games, that's the huge key to me because you're probably not winning those three games in the middle. You end up 4-3, and three, and if, if you have some confidence and have the offense established a little bit by the time you get to those final five games, I think this team could really make a run there at the end of the season as the schedule lightens up again. 
Yeah, no, I'm I'm really looking forward to it. Um, they're a 31 point favorite. We'll get to that in a minute over over Monroe. I, I honestly think they hang, hang hang a half a hundred on them, and 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 I hope they look good in doing so. So I, I'm I'm excited. All right, Ohio State returns six starters on offense and five on defense. The Buckeyes went undefeated and won the Big Ten championship before falling to Alabama in the national championship game last season. On a scale of one to ten, Skinny, how confident are you that OSU will be back in the college football playoff this year? Um, 9.8. I, oh, it's wow. pretty high. It's pretty high. Um, obviously a lot hinges on is CJ Stroud, the real deal. And then if not, you're playing a kid that should be in high school, probably Quinn Ewers, but there, you know, and, and you mentioned the starters returning, but, but Ryan day, same way. I mean, they rotate so many guys in that they get so many guys that get snaps over the course of a season that, that even if they're not listed as a starter, they've played a, a bunch of football, but I, I do, I think a lot of it hinges on is CJ Stroud good enough. I don't need him to be Justin Fields. Um, you know, I think, you know, you're hoping he is, but I don't need him to be Justin Fields. I just need him to be competent. And he's got two two great wide receivers. They've got a, a running game, which they always do. Uh, I'm I'm pretty darn confident in in this Ohio State team too. I I, I might even go with nine point nine out of out of ten. They've got two great receivers, and then like four or five more really really good wide receivers. That's the one position right. group on this Ohio State team that's just absurd and unfair. And to a certain extent, this season could be looked at uh, as a test of Ryan Day's offense and quarterback whispering ability after Dwayne Haskins and Justin Fields, where he's like really, really good. And, and I'm of the belief that it has a lot to do with Ryan day. I think this system, a lot of quarterbacks, especially when you put elite talent around them and a nice offensive line, they're going to look pretty good. CJ Stroud steps into a position. He's got a, a lot of promise. He's got a dominant offensive line and he's got a dominant receiver group. So I think he's going to be put in position to succeed without question. I, I just, uh, I, I have to go with you. I think I'm, I'm right there at a, a nine probably in terms of my confidence level. And, and the other part is, I mean, who else in the big 10 do you, do you think is, is going to challenge them? Penn state? Mm, I don't think so. They own Michigan. Um, you know, Michigan state's down. Yeah, Wisconsin's okay. There's just, there's nobody that, that pops off at the, 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 the eye chart at you. I mean, hell Minnesota might be one of their hardest, hardest games. They're a two touchdown favorite tonight. Yeah. I really think Minnesota might be one of their toughest games because it's the first game of the of the year and you're starting on the road against a team with a veteran quarterback who's played pretty well throughout his career. So, uh, yeah, I think that and then the Oregon game the following week, which, you know, that game's at home, but this Oregon team, not on Ohio State's level, they might be a two-touchdown favorite in that one as well, but it's at least a test. But if you get past those two pretty unscathed and, and looking good, I mean, where does the loss come from or even the competition come from the rest right. of the schedule? You know, we talked a lot about that last week when we were going through the over under win totals. Uh, you're right. I mean, there's just not a lot of competition here for the Buckeyes, especially with the way that they recruit. Yes, they lost a lot, but they're reloading and you know that. Well, yeah, in past years, I mean, Penn State was a top 10 team. Wisconsin was a top 10 team. Michigan was a top 10 team. Michigan State even was a top 10 team. There's nobody like that in the Big Big Ten other than Ohio State. I think it's why last year, I mean, it's kind of why Northwestern snuck through and won the other division and played for the championship and Ohio State obliterated them. All right. I got a bonus question here. Big story from week zero was that everyone is already firing Scott Frost at Nebraska. And (laughs) fairly, they look terrible. They looked awful. I've had this system where whenever Illinois fans are excited about football, whether it's just 
for a specific game, they think they can pull an upset or they think they're going to get a big win. Or if it's, you know, beginning of the new season and they think they're going to turn things around. My strategy has always been fade Illinois fans optimism because they stink. They're always going to stink. That's what I've done. It's gone well for me until this. But I agree with the people wanting to fire Scott Frost because watching that game, Illinois didn't look good. Brett Bielema just flat out outcoached Scott Frost and had his team more ready to play. I made two plays last weekend and two only. I took Illinois in the points and I took Illinois on the money line. That's how confident I was that Nebraska stunk and Scott Frost can't coach. That's how literally that I made those two plays with a with a ton of confidence. Well, I wish I would have uh, listened to you. I was strictly just fading Illinois fans being excited about their team in Bielema. It turned out to be wrong, but out of that came a lot of conversation about who's going to replace Scott Frost because everyone's already got him on the chopping block here, and that may be fair. Do you think Luke Fickle at UC or Mark Stoops at Kentucky would be intrigued by that opportunity at Nebraska? I don't because it's not an elite job. It's you know what they are. They're they're the they're the Indiana basketball of foot of college football. The once blue blood that no longer is, and I don't know ever will be again. Could they have like in you know their pocket of nine and three? Sure, kind of like Kentucky does. I, I just don't think it's a good job anymore, Rick. It's it's that that the, the era of of of. You know, corn-fed Nebraska offensive lineman and Tom Osborne running the uh, the the I formation and the in the option are gone. They, they they just don't get the players. It's it's it. No, I think it's it is to me honestly. It is like it, it. Indiana fans still think they are blue blood in basketball, and I'm sorry to tell you, you're not, and you haven't been for a long time. And I know you agree with me on that. That's Nebraska football. Well, and I don't even think Nebraska fans would tell you that they're remotely close to being that level in football anymore. I. This is where conference realignment, people don't have a lot of foresight with it. Yeah, right. it's great. They're they're getting some money in the Big Ten, it's competitive everything, but guess what? It completely killed their program. Right. I mean, what how are you gonna recruit to Nebraska when you've got Wisconsin, Iowa, Minnesota, Boise, <laughs> not to mention Penn State, Ohio State, Indiana, all around? Like, you're not going to beat those schools out for big Midwestern kids. No, right. And, that, and you know, I, and that's when, you know, you go, uh, yeah, we've got tradition. Kids don't care about that crap anymore, man. They don't, <laughs> I mean, they care. How can you help me get to the league? Well, they've, they've never cared if it's, if the tradition happened before they were born. Yeah, no, right. That's the thing exactly. fans always bring right. up. It's like, we've got tradition that matters to you and you only. Right. That's when right. you want to brag to opposing fan bases, kids who never saw you win a game do not care about your tradition. I am of the belief that Luke Fickle would have zero interest in this job. It makes no sense at all. I think Mark Stoops as well. I mean, Mark Stoops is getting paid a pretty penny at Kentucky. The only thing to me that would maybe affect him is the fact that you're bringing in Texas and Oklahoma. How much harder does the Kentucky job get? Well, that's you can make a case for Stoops wanting that job or it being a decent move for him. For the the fact that he's already maxed out UK. Yes. He's doing as well as anyone can do at UK, and it's not like he has a chance to win the SEC ever. And it's only getting more difficult, as you just pointed out. There's also the perspective for him of he's probably got enough run left in his career to do one more big job takeover, try to rebuild yeah. a program. He could do that one more time, but it doesn't really matter if it flames out for him. He's towards the end of his career anyway. If he puts in four or five years of a new program, getting a giant paycheck, 
uh, it's just kind of a nice retirement plan. You know, it, it, it's not, it's not going to kill off his career. He's kind of towards the end already. He's established himself. Everyone knows he's a good, he's a good coach. And Nebraska is still getting all this big 10 money. I mean, they do have money and they will spend for a new football coach. So he could even get more money than he's getting at UK right now in the SEC from Nebraska. So I think there is the potential that Stoops might consider under the right circumstances. I don't think there's any interest from Luke Fickle at all. He could Luke Fickle could get any job in the country that opens up, including any of the Blue Bloods, whether it be Ohio State or I would agree USC or any any of them, really. I mean, any program that opens up, Luke Fickle could get. It's just a matter of which program is going to open up at the right time for him. Yeah, agreed. Agreed. All right, from college football to the NFL, and we will get back to the college football game lines here in a minute with our betting segment, but let's talk some NFL first. The Bengals acquired B.J. Hill from New York Giants in exchange for center Billy Price this week. Skinny, we'll start here. How much of an impact do you think B.J. Hill will have on this roster? Um, minimal, although I, I will say that, that he apparently impressed them when he played uh, against the Bengals last season. And according to ESPN Stats and Inc., uh, stats, uh, stats and information, rather, uh, he had four early pressures in that game, which was the most of any lineman in the game. So apparently, you know, he's got a little pass rush ability. And I think it's the whole um, Billy didn't factor in the equation anymore. Trey Hill had done enough for them to believe he can be a, a, a competent backup center. Um, and it just adds to your depth. It's, it's you know, he comes in, Mike Daniels goes off. And, you, you know, I was a little shocked by that. But then you look and you go, well, that tells me that, 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 you know, they've kind of improved their depth across the defensive front. Mike Daniels started 11 games last year because he had to. So, yeah, I, I think it just gives them another body inside. They've got five tackles. They'll rotate a, a chunk of those guys. It gives them a, a guy who's played all across the line. He's played one technique, three technique, five technique, so he can fill in and slide into a lot of different spots and a lot of different things in what they want to do. They often line up in that kind of that five-man front where Hendrickson and, and, and Hubbard technically play outside linebackers, and then they put three big defensive tackles really guard to guard um, one on the nose and then one in each of the gaps to try to kind of, you know, stuff the run game. So I, I, I think they just, it gives them a better Mike Daniels. If reader and Ogan Joby are one and two kind of on the depth chart at those tackle positions. And again, it's they're shifting alignments and how many of those right. defensive tackles they're using at a given time. But let's just say reader and Ogan Joby are at the top. You think he'll fits in around third or is he probably lower than that? Man, probably below Josh Tupo. I think when they go to that three-man front, um, it, it'll be Tupo on the nose for the most part. Um, he just gives them some rotational depth. But, you know, listen, especially early in the year, that rotational depth on the defensive line is key because those guys are not playing. In a perfect world, you're probably playing your tackles about 50% of the snaps apiece because just because how hot it is, and those guys are the ones that wear down quicker. So, yeah, I, I just think he gives them nice rotational depth. It's an upgrade over Mike Daniels is what it is. God, especially if Tyler Shelvin is out there. That man has to wear down quickly. Ooh, Although boy, he doesn't really a move a whole lot. He is a big one. He is massive. Well, the team also had to cut its roster down to 53 players on Tuesday. What was the most surprising roster decision the Bengals made? Um, I guess Michael Jordan. I, 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 I would say that I, I listen I, I think it's the right move but you know this guy started 19 games the last two years he started camp as the first team offensive or first team right guard I mean talk about a quick fall from grace from you know starting 19 games over the last two years and some of it by default and he lost his job both years when they kept going back to him 
to new offensive line coach comes in and he's plugged back in as a starter. And you think, okay, well, new offensive line coach sees something in him too. And then by the end of camp, you know, five, four or five weeks later, he's not only not starting, he's gone. That's a little shocking. I guess I, I was pleasantly surprised about what this says about the team's feelings with regards to Jackson Carmen, because yeah, to yeah, me, right. for them being willing to cut Michael Jordan, it says they believe that Jackson Carmen is a viable backup if they well, need to rely on him. And here, watching him the last two weeks, that matched up with what I saw in the preseason games. I even texted you two weeks ago yes, saying, yeah. am I crazy? Or does Jackson Carmen look pretty good this past week? And again, do I know all the intricacies of playing the position of offensive guard? No, of course not. I'm sure there's consistency things, assignment things that I'm missing. But in terms of him winning one-on-one matchups and physically beating the man in front of him, I thought the last preseason game they played, he looked pretty darn good at times. I, he physically dominated the guy in front of him a couple times in the run game, and he wasn't getting beat. So I feel a lot more confident about what I saw in Jackson Carmen and that matching up with the coaching staff's opinions now. Yeah, because don't forget, both backup guards now, Deontay Smith and Jackson Carmen, have taken how many NFL snaps in a regular season game? Zero. Zero. And so you're right. So they they obviously have confidence that they can get the job done because they've got plenty of tape on Michael Jordan. He's got plenty of NFL snaps under his belt. And you can argue, well, they're not great NFL snaps. That's fine. But he's got them. And, you know, sometimes you want to fall back if you need to on at least a guy that's done it as opposed to guys you're not quite sure unless, to your point, you feel really good about those two guys. And apparently they do. Yeah. And I mean, you know, maybe it's they just feel a little bit better than they did about Michael Jordan, who a lot of people had their issues with, understandably so. And that's fine. But we went from them essentially trashing Jackson Carmen and doing everything but calling him a fat, lazy bum, saying he's a third stringer to now he's a viable backup all of a sudden in just a few weeks. And that's the exact type of progression or at least message coming from the staff that we wanted to see. They were dangling a carrot at the beginning. They were telling him he needs to be a professional, but it doesn't look like he's a complete bust who has no shot. No, exactly right. And, um, you know, I, I have no faith in offensive linemen starting every game over the course of a season, especially guys who have been hurt. So Xavier Suofilo is probably going to get hurt or is probably going to go through a stretch where maybe he doesn't play well enough and you're going to have to swallow hard and put Jackson Carmen in there. You're not going to do that with your franchise quarterback if you don't believe in the guy, right? You're just not. So, yeah, I think it's I think it does show that they believe in those guys and him especially. The other position group that I found a little bit interesting was the wide receiver room. You know, they made their initial cuts with the 53, but then they made a few more cuts the next day and, and shuffled some guys. They're sitting in a wide receiver room right now with five guys, T Higgins, Jamar Chase, Tyler Boyd, Auden Tate and Stanley Morgan. Skinny, is that enough? Do you see them making another move? Are you surprised by some of the guys they let go of? Yeah, it was kind of procedural. So I think here's what's going to happen today. And and we're doing this podcast at approximately 10 a.m. And the roster move hasn't been made. I believe that they, um, okay, this is kind of procedural. So practice squads had to be set by one o'clock yesterday. Um, The Bengals then claimed a couple of guys off of waivers, which meant they had to put them on the 53. So they put those two guys uh, the wide receiver, the, the cornerback, um, McLeod and the defensive lineman. I can't even think of his name now at the top of my day or way or whatever Cray it could be, but anyway, so they put those two guys on the roster. You had to create roster space. So they terminated the contract of Mike Thomas wave Trent Irwin. And, and initially that looks alarming today, I believe because it will, and then to, to backtrack for a second. So that had to happen by one o'clock because your practice squad stuff. And they claim the way the waiver claims starting at four o'clock yesterday, you could then place guys that you carry to the 53 man roster on injured reserve 
that injured reserve is not season ending. Those guys can come back as early as, as after three games. So I think today Trey Trey or uh, not uh, will uh, it'll be uh, Khalid Kareem will be placed on. Um, actually, here it is. It literally just happened as I'm talking about this. Place Khalid Kareem on on an IR and sign resign Mike Thomas. That's exactly what I was about to say. So it literally just came across my my emails. When we were talking about this. All right, so there you go. Another veteran receiver back in in that room, which makes sense because it seemed like five guys, and especially you know. Stanley Morgan hasn't done a whole lot in terms of a receiver. Mike Mike Thomas has been a little bit more of a threat too in the passing game. It just if someone gets injured, you would think that they would want another guy that can go out and and make a play for you in that room. Uh, Jamar Chase has been a big topic of conversation again. He had his struggles in practice last week, and then he came out and dropped the only pass he was thrown from Joe Burrow. A little bubble screen there, skinny. Where are we at with this? I mean, I, I don't want to get into everyone saying the same thing, right? Like, oh, you don't have to be too worried about it, but it is a concern now and something that needs to be talked about. So I guess let me approach it from this angle. In eight games from now in the Bengals season, we're midway through the season. Do you think this is a topic of conversation still? Do you think we're talking about Auden Tate taking his snaps? And a year from now, when we're back in this position next year, do you think this is a storyline and something that we're still talking about? Better not be. And I don't think it will be. Um, I, I don't. I, I honestly don't understand it because this really was not a huge issue for him in college. It never happened what, in college. The, the, the one common denominator, though, that has me a bit alarmed is this. The three drops in Washington were all tight window catches where he knew he was going to probably get hit, right? The one on the bubble screen, if you look at it, there's a guy closing hard on him right as he's about to catch the football. And it, the only thing I'm worried about is, is he really that nervous about taking a shot? Because that's what it looks like to me is he catches fine in one-on-ones. He catches fine in practice when he knows he can't. Well, not he doesn't catch fine, but he's had some good days in practice of late where he knows he's not going to really be hit. But the four that he's dropped, it, it, it does, does, does he not want to take a shot? And I hate to say it as an NFL wide receiver, you're going to get hit, my man. So I'm going to say, no, it's not going to be something we're talking about eight games from now, but it also better not be. And it won't be because I guarantee you, Rick, if this continues into the regular season, um, they are going to have to, to, to play Auden Tate more because this is a coaching staff that can't afford to coax this guy along and, and, and don't hurt his confidence by yanking. No, they got to win football games. They got to win football games. And if the kid drops passes and he's not helping you win football games, well then got to put somebody else in there who does. And, confidence be damned he's gonna have to find a way to get it back on his own and and you know when you give him that next chance he better stick so i'm gonna i'm gonna lean towards no but i mean it is the last four targets in a game that have been dropped and it, they've 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 been in you know the bubble screen you think it was in space and again go back and i'll invite anybody to look at it he certainly should have caught it it hits him right in the face mask but there's a guy closing fast oh yeah and it, and it makes me wonder is this guy gonna really have a hard time in traffic if that's the case um you can't play in the nfl <laughs> Well, there's I I'm I was gonna say media members, but you know there's there's the beat writers of the team, the Paul Daners, you and a you know a bunch of other guys that cover the team, and then there's also and give the Bengals fan base credit, there is a pretty strong group of like Bengals bloggers and guys who tweet and make all types of content online. The Bengals have a pretty strong group of that type of people now that have, have formed a nice little community. So when you're watching a Bengals game, if you're following along on Twitter, you'll see all types of reactions and comments and takes and stuff like that. And everyone has been tripping over themselves 
in terms of the, the people that write about the team to make excuses for Jamar Chase and why you shouldn't be worried. I think my favorite one I saw out of that was that he didn't catch that pass on purpose because he knew it was going to be a two or three yard loss. It was just yeah. his super high football IQ, not yeah. his inability to catch passes skinny. So uh, yeah, no, he's got that, that, that was that was not the case. I know it sounds silly, but I sincerely believe this. I would quit making it easy on him. I would quit putting his head being like, oh, we just want to get you a quick catch, a little bubble well, screen here well, to get you and going. I, yeah, I would and I will throw say, the ball downfield for him, let him run under it and go make a play because that's where he's best. And that's where you don't have to worry about getting a shot from your blind side where you can't turn around and see the guy. Yeah, no, I agree with that. But but keep in mind that that bubble screen was really more to keep Joe Burrow safe. Sure. Than anything else. And I totally understand why in that situation. But there's been other situations this year. Mostly what they've used him for is those quick little passes. And, and understandably, because one, that's, why you have him on the team. That's what you're going to try to get him to do. And then two, because when a guy's not catching the ball, you want to say, here's a quick one right to you while you're wide open. You haven't even ran yet. Catch the ball. I think that almost puts too much mental on it. Now it's in his head. He's obviously thinking about it. Quit telling him you're going to give him the easy one. Just throw the ball up and let him go beat Jamar Chase and go wrestle the ball away from someone in the air, which is what he truly did best in the college game. That's my hope is the next time we see Jamar Chase, it's going to be a a 25, 30 yard ball up in the air that he has to go make a play on it. And hopefully he'll be able to get some confidence going that way. Maybe. Yeah, no, I, I, I there's, there's no excuses. I, I, that's the thing I've, I've heard some of those too. I want some guy clap back at me about it and it was, Oh, he's still learning a new offense. No dude, we're through training camp. He know he's learned the offense. That that's not Stop. the issue any longer. There, there's, there's a, there's a definitive issue there. It's not one that can't be overcome and I believe he will overcome it, but let, let's not, let's not pretend it's not happened. Yeah. Yeah, we're talking four targets, four drops. That, 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 that those are the numbers. You you do with him what you want. All I know is he's been targeted four times, and he's dropped the last four he's been targeted. The great part about it is it was never an issue in college. This wasn't something right. people were worried about, and then now it's clearly a big issue. It's something that has, you know, whether it was the year off, which doesn't really make a lot of sense necessarily either in terms of an excuse, or it's just like you said, he's a little afraid to get hit right now, and it's in his head. Whatever it is, I don't worry about it too much long term because. He was a guy who had pretty good hands, to be quite honest, and was great at high pointing balls and wrestling away and stuff like that. So I don't, I don't really worry about his hands too much. Well, and, and that's the thing. thing. And I will give the the kid really works hard at it. I mean, he's catching balls off the jugs gun, so it's not a matter of watching him on the jugs gun and going, man, he can't catch every third ball. That that's not it. And same thing on if, when he's just running routes on air with nobody covering him. He catches all those. I mean, it, it, there's something to me, in my opinion, right now that he just is afraid to take a hit and. I, that's only going to come with getting hit and hanging on. And if that happens, then maybe he realizes, okay, I live through it. I'll be all right. Yeah. It's it's the definition of the yips. I mean, I remember yeah, right. in, in high school baseball at one point, there was like a year long period where, you know, I only pitched later on in my career. I was just a relief pitcher and every comebacker that came to me on the mound, I couldn't make the throw to first base that wow. Eight foot, 12 foot throw, whatever it was. Yeah. yeah. I couldn't, I short hop it. I'd throw it over. It was just in my head. So I, just, I had to start doing the, Thing where you run it halfway over and just underhand flip it every time I got a comebacker to me. I mean, it was just you know in what? my head. So it just I, wish I, I wish I had a coach against you because I would have every one of my guys bunt it right at you and say, he, he'll, he'll, he'll field it. He just won't throw it. We'll yeah, just keep they, running around the bases all day. See, that, that wasn't the issue, though. I could do it if it was a bang-bang play where I had to make a long throw that was tough. I couldn't make the, the hard comebacker right to me where I had all the time in the world. I couldn't make that easy throw. It was just sacks. in my head. It was yeah, no, I mean, no, there, there's an, it, it, I think it's a real thing, and he's going through it right now. Yeah. All right. The Reds, the bats finally came back to life in time for them to save the second game of Wednesday night's doubleheader, a 12-2 win that snapped a four-game losing streak. 
The Reds are now tied with the Padres in the loss column and are a game up on the Phillies and Cardinals in the loss column in terms of wild card standings. Skinny, who should the Reds be most scared of now for that second wild card spot? I know their schedule is a bear and we've talked about it, but they're just because of their talent. I still think it's San Diego. I would have, I would have said St. Louis if they'd have completed the sweep, but the fact that, that all of the stuff that went on over the last three days, including the rain out and all that, I mean, they gained just one game on the reds. And um, so I'm, I'm going to go with San Diego. I just, because of the talent. Um, But I I think the reds are going to be okay. I, that maybe that was the game they needed. They needed the the everybody to have a feel good day. Suarez cranking a couple, and Castellanos having a big day, and India continue to do great things. Maybe that's what they finally need to just kind of shake this thing up, and then take a day off, and then then you start hitting again a lighter part of the schedule with the Tigers. Because I, I do, I think the schedule just shapes up too well for this team to to have any kind of collapse. Are they going to lose a series here and there? Maybe, but I can also see them winning five or six games in a row and and putting a little separation between themselves and all the rest of those teams in the wild card race. I'm, I'm going to go San Diego just because of their talent. I think the Padres are the most talented team as well, but their their schedule is so difficult it's down the stretch. A, all right, here it is. I mean, here I'm, I'm going to rattle off. They've got three at home with the Astros after well, they play out the Diamondbacks. Oh, that was last night, so they're off today. So three, three at home against the Astros, not going to be easy. Two against the Angels. Then they play at the Dodgers three, at the Giants four, at the Cardinals three. Giants back for three more at the Braves or no, the Braves for four, then at the Dodgers for three to end it. I mean, there's there's no breather in the bunch for them. No, well, and that that's why I am not as concerned about them, even though they are the most talented. Now, there's they're a factor. Don't get me wrong. They were in the best position and they are the most talented, I think. But honestly, the team I'm most worried about right now is the Phillies because of the schedule that they have left. They have a really easy schedule, just like the Reds do. Yeah, they do. You're you start right. looking at. I mean, they're playing the Marlins right now. They've got the they've got Brewers. Four, they've, they've got four with the Pirates down the road. They got three with the Orioles down the road. They've got the and Rockies. they got three with the Cubs and they got the Rockies. That's a fair call. That's yeah, a good point. I mean, they've really got an easy schedule down the stretch, which the Reds do too. And I think that's why. What, now look, the Reds, the two losses to the Marlins, you can't have it. That's that's bad. That hurt them. But this series with the Cardinals, I think people were starting to look at things the wrong way. We thought this Reds team had a decent chance to make the postseason because of their easy schedule to finish the year, not because they're a consistently good baseball team. So I'm not going to panic because of them losing to the Cardinals, which was one of the few good teams that they had left on their schedule. No, that's right. We, we had this hope for the team because of how bad their schedule is down the stretch. As long as they continue to take care of business against these bad teams, they're going to be fine. Now, the factor of their bats just completely disappearing for a couple of games was a little bit concerning, but th- they came back. I mean, they scored four in the first game of the doubleheader yesterday. They scored 12 in the second game. The bats are okay. They've been pretty solid all year. Yes, they have their ups and downs just like every other team, but the bats are going to be there for the and, most and, part, and, I think. And you're, and you're getting Winker back at some point. And you're getting Winker back, hopefully. So, yeah, I, I, I'm not as worried about the Reds. Th- this I've been as guilty as anyone over the last month or two of of riding the roller coaster with this team and getting too high and too low uh, based on results. But this week didn't really shake me at all because, again, that's not why we thought this team would make the playoffs. It's more about their terrible schedule down the stretch. And as long as they uh, are able to keep pace with the Phillies in that regard, they should be fine. Yeah, and I, and I think that I think they will. But yeah, that, you make a good point with the Phillies, and they are only two and a half games behind the Reds. So yeah, that 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 does shape up to be scary. Just because you look up and you're like, 
all right, we're playing, but they're playing the Orioles. We're playing, but they're playing the Rockies. I mean, <laughs> they're probably looking at that the same way Reds fans are of, hey, we're in a good spot. We're only two and a half back and look who we're playing. So, yeah. Yeah, exactly. And I mean, they're two and a half back, but they're one back in the loss column, too. Right, so that, right. you know, there, there's a little bit of a difference there as well. All right, Skeen, let's get into our betting segment, which is the first time in a long time that we've got actual games to handicap here. But before we do that, we actually had an ask any anything question that I think this Uh-oh. is the perfect time to answer. Uh, OK, because someone did send in a question about, hey, I haven't done any of the gambling over in Indiana. I live in Cincinnati. What do I need to do? How do I get started if I'm just trying to have fun like you guys do on a Saturday? Um, I think there are a few tips that we could probably help with. We just started doing this the last few years as it was legalized as well. We've talked about a lot on this podcast. We both drive over to Lawrenceburg and I started off going into Hollywood Casino and making my bets at actual kiosks. I've now moved to mobile apps. Skinny, what do you prefer between the two? I know you've done both as well. Yeah, and I've done I've done both. I, I, I prefer the app. Just um, I, I, I actually uh, went this morning before we did this podcast and I actually went in um, because I couldn't deposit into my account and, and I hadn't put much money in there anyway, when I opened the app, I'll probably, I'll probably go with a small bankroll to put into the, to the account some point this weekend and, and, you know, try to build that up and, um, hopefully make it last or build on top of it. So, yeah, I, I prefer the app, especially when it gets busy season, you don't want to try to go on us. I will say this. I would not try to go on a Saturday to do it. It's just too crowded. Uh, same as on a Sunday. Um, when I was usually, if I played for the weekend, I'd usually go on a Friday morning early if I went in, but now just pulling that circle K lot or pulling one of the lots around there and you can use your mobile app and and do it. And again, I, I mean, I suggestion is, and I trust me, I was a degenerate at one point in my life with this stuff and, and, and shook it. And now I really just do it for fun um, just to have a little rooting interest and, and it's not make or break. And the good part is you're putting money that you think you can afford up front, as opposed to letting it ride with a bookmaker and having it just go out of spiral out of control. Cause that can happen. Um, so I would suggest that's the other part is just make sure you have fun with it. Um, you know, if you feel like you can lose 40 bucks on a weekend, great. If you think you can lose a hundred on a weekend, great. Um, don't think you're going to go there and break the bank because you're not, um, you, you might be able to win a little bit. You might be able to have a, have a season's worth of, of winning a little bit. Um, but you know, some of it's just, honestly, it's to keep your rooting interest in it. And yeah, you can win a little bit of money. And hopefully if you do, you, you don't go too haywire. So I, my suggestion is just, just keep it fun. Keep it within your means. Um, I know that sounds easy and I know there are people and I just brought him up at the start of this podcast, Art Schleister. He probably started small and started back in high school and, um, he continued it through college. And then it just became a completely spiraled out of control addiction. So, um, he could, he couldn't shake it. He's never been able to shake it. I hope now that he's out of prison at age 61, he finds a way to shake it. I don't have great faith in that because he's never been able to, to this point in his life, despite so many rehabs and so many, in and outs of uh, gamblers anonymous and all that stuff. Um, he just can't shake it. So, uh, you know, if you've got an addictive personality, uh, my suggestion to, to would be absolutely stay away from it. But if not, if you can handle, you know, a few bucks here and there to have a good time with it. Absolutely. I think it's, a, it's, a, it's a lot of fun. Yeah. Always bet responsibly, obviously in terms of the apps, You've got DraftKings. Yeah, got- I've, got, I've got Barstool. I use the Barstool app. I know you've got a couple of different ones, but I think the Barstool app's pretty easy to navigate, and they've got some good offers on there, and it ties into the Hollywood Casino as well. So, you know, if you make a bet on your app and and maybe you want to go, uh, you know, uh, you know, use use something at the kiosk, you can do that. But I, I that Barstool app's a good one for me. Yeah, the the Barstool one is probably my favorite as well. DraftKings. FanDuel, those are the three that I use. There are a few more. 
I don't really see a huge advantage in any of them. I actually right. think the advantage is signing up for all of them. There's no subscription fee or anything. You just deposit money into any of them whenever you want. But the reason you have multiple apps downloaded is twofold. One, they all offer promotions, whether that be right. sign up promotions. A lot of times if you make a bet initially or do a deposit, they'll match that. So you might get a free $100 or a free $100 bet, something of that nature. So if you have three different books doing that, you can get three free $100 right, bets. Right. Um, also, you want to have opportunities to look at different lines. Like someone might have a game at minus seven and a half. Another book might have it at minus six and a half. That point matters. Yes, so right. if you can get that minus six and a half, you're going to want to go ahead and do that. So being able to compare the couple books against each other can, can come in handy there as well. Aside from that, we like, uh, we bet a lot of spreads. We'll bet over under just total points. But these things, they get down into player props. There's all types of different bets you can do. The other thing we're big fans of, uh, we'll, we'll get into this in a second, is the teaser, where basically what that is, is if a team is favored by seven points, you can change that line in your favor and say, if you wanted to bet on them favored by seven, you can knock it down by six to seven points, depending on what you like. It changes your odds, obviously, but it gives you a better chance of winning. And, and, you, you, have can, to, and, and you have to have a minimum of two teams. And then if the more teams you add to that teaser, the better the odds become. But then also the harder it is to hit that teaser. So teasers have their pratfalls and so do parlays. So I make a handful of, so I'll pick out a handful of games that I just want to play straight. And then just to have rooting interest on a bunch of different games, I'll put five or six teams together in a parlay or teaser spread out about 40 or 50 bucks. If you hit one, you're probably going to, you know, win 150 bucks out of, out of one of those things. And, and it'll, that'll carry you for a few weeks. Um, but yeah, for the most part, teasers and parlays are hard to hit. They're called sucker bets. I don't believe they're quite sucker bets. If you, if you play them the right way, um, but you also got to sprinkle in some, 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 uh, some straight up games too, just to just pick a handful of games that you like and go with those games and, and bet them straight. That, that to me is the way I'm not a player prop guy. Rick is um, it just gets too confusing for me to be honest with you. Um, and I could probably just get in that wormhole. I don't have time to get in the wormhole of looking on my app or looking in the kiosk. I'm sure I would go into a wormhole and, and probably pick out a thousand different player props I would like. So I, I kind of intentionally stay away from that, but I know you enjoy them and that, that that's fine. Well, I, I don't do fantasy football. So, yeah, I, right. I don't that's like right. keeping up that's with right. the whole season. So right. like for the weeks that I'm, I have the time to really get invested and say, Oh, I really like this guy and this matchup. That's a lot of times when I'll get into to player props. I don't do that as much in football. It's more of a basketball thing, but either way, that's kind of how I play it. So again, if you, if you want to try it out this weekend for the first time, you're thinking about going over there today or tomorrow or Saturday, or whatever, go over to Lawrenceburg. As soon as you get off the exit, if you turn left, you'll see the circle K gas station right there take another quick left immediately off the exit they got a big long extended parking lot you can park in there just sit in there download one of the apps maybe put 50 dollars, whatever you want to do to try it out and uh put in a couple of your first bets there on one of the apps that that would be my recommendation if you're going to go try it out Agreed. or you can always go down to the sports book if you want the whole experience uh but like skinny said that that can be a zoo when you get to game day so yes Let's get into our games this week. We'll start, and this is a quick turnaround here, so I'll get this podcast up as soon as possible. 8 p.m. tonight on Thursday, we've got Ohio State at Minnesota. The Buckeyes are a 13.5-point favorite now as we're recording this. It's been all over the place. I've seen it as I've high seen as 14, 16 Yeah, and I've seen 14. In fact, I'm looking at it as 14 right now. At 13.5, it would be extraordinarily inviting because I, I think Ohio State I think Ohio State wins this comfortably, but you know you'd like to have that extra half a point with the fourteen involved because that's usually a, that's a, that's a key number. Um, I'm gonna go, and the total is what sixty two and a half. Is that 60, what you got? Sixty three and a half is okay. what I have on the okay. total. Okay, so we'll go with that total. I, I'm still gonna. Go. I'm gonna go Ohio State forty five, Minnesota twenty two. 
So I'm going Ohio State in the over. <laughs> so they get, they get a two-point conversion late. Tanner, Tanner Morgan, the Ryle product, who's the quarterback for Minnesota, he runs it in for two points. So starting off the season, I mean, people have to think we come up with these lines together or, or our predictions together. We never even talk about them no, at all. We don't. My prediction was OSU 45, Minnesota 21. My goodness. So, okay. <laughs> so we're both, we're, we're both Ohio state in the over though. 100%. I think this is the biggest, actually, this is the second biggest gift line of the entire weekend. The next one we'll talk about here in a second, uh, noon Saturday, Louisiana Monroe at Kentucky. The Wildcats are 31 point favorites. The total is 53 and a half. Yeah. I'm going to go Kentucky 52 to 17. That's probably not a comfortable over uh comfortable cover, but I, I'll take Kentucky and the over. I think they hang a half a hundred on Louisiana Monroe. So I, I think they're going to p- pile it on in terms of points as well. I was a little bit more reserved in terms of the offense because there's a new offensive coordinator. I'm going to say Kentucky 42, Louisiana Monroe 10. We're in the same neighborhood there in terms of Kentucky's winning margin, but I'm on the under, you're on the over. I'm, I'm just the under yes. there at 52. So uh, both of us on UK, I'm under, you're over. And that brings us to 3.30 p.m. Saturday, Miami at Cincinnati. The Bearcats are 23-point favorites. The total is 51. You know, if you'd have told me there were 33-point favorites, I still think I would take Cincinnati. I think that's a gift line to me. I mean, I, I, I think UC one punishes Miami. I, I, I'll go UC 45 to, to 10. So I'm going to go UC in the over. You see, you know, it, it, it's one of those when you see this big number, um, you know, I, I would say that it's too big if you see was having to answer so many questions personnel wise, but they're not. I, I expect this UC team, no pun intended, to hit the ground running, not yep. ease into a season because you're trying to get this guy, you know, involved for a change who hasn't played this role or that guy or your quarterback, especially. No, I think it's the exact opposite. I think they hit the ground with a flourish. Uh, it could even be bigger than that. And I don't think Miami's bad this year. I think they got a pretty decent team, but I'm, I'm going UC 45 to 10. I think the, the 23 number, like I said, if you told me it was 33, I think I'd still take UC laying 33. Without a doubt. I felt the same exact way. I thought it was going to be much more like 33, 35, something like that to get this game at 23. I mean, this has reverse teaser written well, all over it. Yeah, it. it does. And, and I don't do this very often either, Rick, but I'm going to guess the first half line's probably what? 14-ish, 13-ish. Yeah, which is I mean, my a gift. Another gift, too. And that's the biggest thing. It's like, okay, you could see this. Miami's going to be fired up. Huge opportunity for those guys. Sure. But like you said, UC has their quarterback back. They've got their offensive linemen back for the most part other than their left tackle. They've got a ton of receivers back. They've got a talented running back group. They've got a dominant defense. Like, Miami is screwed here, and UC is going to come out Firing on all cylinders from and, the and get-go. There's what, not going to be a feel out, feeling out process. And guess what? When you know that you have a chance to play into the college football playoff, and again, you have to take care of business in this to- those two road games, but you know what else is going to matter in, in going 12-0? and Style points are going to matter, brother. They're going to matter a lot. Yeah, it will. And, and this isn't you know the game before Indiana or Notre Dame either. Right. They've got Murray right. State next week, so right. it's not a look-ahead situation even. I- I'm with you. I think this is the biggest gift line. I loved it as soon as it came out. I went over there yesterday and jumped on it at 23 just to make sure I could lock did, it did, in, and I'm probably going to bet more on it this weekend. Yeah, did you look at the first half line by chance? I, I didn't, but that's I probably okay. no, will do yeah, that this yeah, weekend. Yeah, okay. I, yeah, I think that that's that's the play, and I, I, I rarely, if ever, do that. 
Yeah, so we've got both got UC in the over here. Very confident about that one. And I'll be honest with you, I'm probably going to go Ohio State and UC reverse teaser. So I'll have Ohio State at 19 and a half and UC at 29 here. Um, I like it. And, and we'll see how that works. But we always, last year, I don't know if you have one ready, but last year we always did a custom teaser or parlay uh, to add on as well. Do you have one ready for this week? Um, I, I I can do one. Do you have one? Okay. Yeah, I have one to go. You want uh, to go you, first you do, you, Yeah, you do one and then I'll put together a three. I always put together a three-teamer. I'm terrible. That's why teasers are hard. They are really hard to do, but we enjoy them. So that's why we do this. We're kooky. Yeah, well, the, the great thing about this, is, and some books might not even let you tease these games because they are well, such big lines. I, you may remember from last year, a lot of people hate those big lines. When you see those lopsided margins here at the beginning of the season, when you got non-conference games going on, I'm the opposite. I think there's huge value in those games. I love those types of games. And I think there are some really good ones this year that I'm, I'm going to point out here. If you can get them as a teaser, great. Take them down the six points. But I don't even think you have to. I like these lines as they are. First one is Tennessee minus 35 against Bowling Green. Bowling Green didn't win a single game last year. They are awful. We faded them all season last year. They're going to be slightly better this year, but it's it's a gift for Tennessee, especially a team that would would love to, to get off to a big start there. Auburn minus 37 and a half against Akron. Akron, same boat as Bowling Green. They absolutely stink. They're the dregs of the Mac. Last year, they had one win. Guess who that win came over? Bowling Green. They are horrible. Auburn, again, same situation as Tennessee. They're they're just going to roll them and try to get off to a quick start. The other game I like here uh, in terms of big spreads is Iowa State minus 31 and a half against Northern Iowa. Iowa State, a team that's got big hopes. They think they could be possibly in the college football playoff as well this year. Again, I go back to the style points. I think they're going to put up a huge number here. All right, I've got one I've come together on. You probably aren't going to like it, but I'm, I'm going to do it anyway. I'm going to do a three-teamer. Um, I, I would like to put UC in it, but I'm going to, I'm going to have so much invested, I think in them that I'm going to stay away from them in the teaser. Cause it would seem so easy to tease them down to, to the, you know, the, the 16 number, so yeah. 17 number, whatever. Worth it. Uh, I think, I think I'm with you. I, if I'm going to do it, I'm going to probably reverse tease them and get a little bit better odds. So I've got one. We'll do a, um, kind of a nighttime three team special here. I'm going to take, Oh, I just had him. I just lost him. Give me one second. Yeah, I'm going to join you on the Auburn one. I'm going to take Auburn down to 31. Or actually, I'm going to do six and a half point three team teaser. I'm going to take the Auburn down to 30 and a half. Um, and then I'm going to take two teams up. I'm going to take UCLA plus nine and a half against LSU. Um, I thought I, Kelly's I, team looked great last week. I thought they looked really good. Um, you know, he's, you know, maybe he is building something there finally. So I, I, I like that. And the other part I'm going to take is I'm going to take Georgia get nine and a half against Clemson. I think this is a really good Georgia team. Uh, this is obviously, I think to me, this this is a battle for who stays in the college football playoff conversation. Um, so it means a lot to both. Clemson's obviously breaking in a new quarterback. He did play last year, DJ Ugalele, but he, you know, he was not the main guy. And uh, you're going to give me Georgia when I think they can win this game, and I'm going to get him at nine and a half. So I think I'll take it. So Georgia up to nine and a half, UCLA up to nine and a half. And I'm with you on Auburn, taking them down to 30 and a half. I like Auburn. I like UCLA. I'm going to be on the other side of that Clemson game in terms of the spread. I think Clemson will beat Georgia. I just don't trust Kirby Smart. That's fair. But that's fair to say. But if you take it up to nine and a half, I do feel a whole lot different about that spread. So that that one I'm going to stay away from in terms of the teaser, but it's not a bad thought. So there you go. There's our betting segment. Great to be back in the the flow here. College football season will keep our 
Our, and did, uh, and did, you, did you write everything down so we I, can track it? I got it all written down. I've got a and nice we're fully, system we're, after. We're, we're, we're fully transparent. We, 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 we will tell you when we're bad. Yeah, the, the, the good thing for you guys, or the bad thing for you guys is, in terms of listeners, is we go about 50%. We're like yeah, half right. and half, no, which is the right. worst thing we could be. That's you either correct. want to be able to follow our picks or fade them, and unfortunately, we don't allow you to do either. And, so. and, and, and we can't let you know when we're hot and when we're not. That's the beauty of it. We, we, we can go on real hot streaks. I can go 7-1 and one, one weekend and turn right back around the next and go 1-7. and seven. Yep. It's all entertainment. So just enjoy it and uh, let us know what you're betting as well. But exactly. That was our betting segment for the week. We will, uh, someone will get a case of beer here at the end of the year, depending That's on right. who wins this. That That's is correct. what we do. So, all right. Time for some ask any, anything. We've got some good sports related questions this week and we'll start with a, a great one. Did Skinny win his national championship while coaching at Bishop Sycamore? That's great. That's a that's pretty good. No, Rick, you, Rick, you can attest to that. I've, I, I'll, I can I can get any player you want that played for me. No, it's it, the my national championship is legit. But my word, what are we doing? What in the world was that all about, dude? So huh? I so you remember Harmony Prep. I do the boarding school in Cincinnati that Absolutely. got shut down years ago Absolutely. because Ab- they weren't accredited Ab- and kids weren't yes. going to school or anything. Absolutely, Guys are playing there. Like well, after I quit playing organized basketball for our high school team, I played an a- on an AAU team that year. And it was, so I think it was my sophomore year and we went over to harmony and played a game. They had like two or three teams. Allegedly we played one of them. We got beat. There were like guys were like six eleven. They had multiple guys who were seemed a lot older than us, whatever. It was fine. And while I'm in the hallways getting ready for that game, I run into a guy that I had gone to high school with and played football with at Holy Cross. And he had graduated two years before I was running into him. And he's at Harmony Prep. So he was 20 at that time, theoretically, maybe older. And he was at Harmony Prep playing football at the time. And he told me he had two more years left at Harmony Prep. Oh, my goodness gracious. So the kid was going to be like 22 by the time he left Harmony Prep, allegedly. And that's when I was like, huh, something about this doesn't seem right. I don't really understand how that whole prep school thing works, but that doesn't seem like how it should work. And uh, lo and behold, Harmony Prep got shut down. And I thought that that was one of like the wildest places, the craziest things that I was ever going to hear about. Then I got into covering college basketball recruiting, came to find out it was actually somewhat common. That type of thing happens all the time. This Bishop Sycamore deal, Skinny, this is beyond all of that. Well, this is unbelievable. I'm sure you've done it. Maybe not not everybody has, but there's so many stories that have been written over the last few days. The one where um, I think it was I think it was our sister station in Cleveland or in Columbus, rather, tried to chase down some of the addresses they used. One was a, a library at Franklin University they used as the address for the school. One of them was a was a, a, a gym. Another one was an abandoned lot. I mean, obviously, there's a lot of shadiness going on here. The thing that I don't understand is that this coach obviously lied through his teeth to get his team on TV to play IMG, despite the fact he's got arrest warrants out. If I've got arrest warrants out for me, do I really want to go on national TV and then embarrass myself and and then have people raise raise an eyebrow going, what is this school all about? And, oh, let's dig further into it. And, oh, the coach has, oh, they didn't pay hotel bills. Uh, they, 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 um, they didn't pay bills to a, to a paintball park. They, 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 you know, they, they, they raised, they defaulted on a hundred thousand dollar loan. I mean, what, what, in the, it's almost like they're, they're begging to go to jail. I've, I, I forgive me. Cause I don't know enough about the, the crime world apparently, but I would have thought if I had warrants out for me, I'd feel like a fugitive. Like I'd be low yes! key wearing hats yes! and sunglasses out to the gas station for my basic needs. 
I don't think I would be actively committing more crimes to get myself on ESPN again. And then Rick, knowing you're, unless you're that dumb of a coach and you really don't understand. And the funny part is this team has had no success over the last two years. They've lost by like an average score of 50 to seven. And then you're going to play with the number one ranked team in the country. What was the end? What was the end game for these guys? That's what I don't get. Like in theory, everyone's like, they're taking advantage of the kids and all this stuff. And, but what, where's the advantage for them? They're not making money. They're writing right. fake checks. They're not right. bringing in any dollars. They're not getting sponsors on board. Like they try to do a GoFundMe. GoFundMe for, and got 140 bucks. Right. Like, so that, that's the part I don't understand. What's the end game for these coaches? They think, do you, do they think someone was going to watch that game on ESPN and go, Hey, Andre Peterson, I know you've got a couple warrants out, but the way you got those boys fired up for that game, you know, come join our staff here at Michigan state. You yeah. Can, I, you I, be, I, 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 I really don't understand the I don't understand the end game. Me neither. It makes absolutely no sense. It's a hilarious story. All the memes and jokes online. uh, uh, Manti Teo's girlfriend went there. All very funny stuff. But in all seriousness, what the hell is the point? What were they trying to do other than be have a competitive prep school football team, I guess. And and That, that part is that part is fine, but you better be fully funded to try to do it. Well, you also might want to start with guys who are actually high school aged or at least just one year removed. Or at least one year removed. Yeah. yeah they're that, running out 21, 20, 23 year olds out there. It's just like, and still getting their ass kicked. Yeah. Not, not even having a prayer. Wow. That's bizarre. I, they that, had that, wide receivers really was bizarre. starting at offensive line. That was great. Cause not, cause of course all these players show up, find out they've been sold, sold a bill of goods and they all leave. So they get down to their first game and well, we don't have any offensive linemen anymore. We'll just put some receivers in there. We'll rotate them in and out. My word. Well, and, and I will tell you, um, uh, my former radio partner, Tom Gamble, who runs a Skyline Chili Crosstown uh, shootout, he's actually put together some games um, for ESPN in, in the shootout over the years. Um, and he's dealt with the guy that, that actually was part of the scheduling of this. And he said, the thing I'm shocked about is he said he's so good at usually vetting all of this to the nth degree. He said, I can't believe he was duped that badly. So that's another question I have. Those guys were duped to schedule the games for ESPN. ESPN was duped, didn't do any research on it, which is fine. They trusted this other guy. I kind of see how right. that happened. Because he's put together good matchups before. Sure. So they just assume oh, he knows what he's doing. We'll right. take his word for it. That's fine. I can see how that happens. But what I can't understand is there were local teams that were playing them recently. Like what Johnson Central had them Johnson, scheduled John, this year. They did. Yeah, they just can't. They can't they're supposed to play this weekend. They canceled after all the, this fiasco. But yeah, why did the, these schools opt to try to play them? Well, this is a new thing. And then teams had played them last year and, and they all seemed to like have this guy's back and say he's trying to do things the right way. Like what, what are people getting from this? What is Andre Peterson and his staff getting from it? What are these other teams that are agreeing to play these guys and perpetuate I this? For, I, 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 that's a great question. I don't know. That's, that's I, a great point. I don't know. I don't know. get how, like, if you're an opposing coach, you know how it is when you put schedules together. You kind of know the people, or if you don't, and you're just scheduling a one-off game type of deal, you're going to have an idea. You're going to look for a film. You're going to try to figure out what they did last year. You're going to find out that they have 23-year-olds on their team. Why would you agree to play them? Right. No, I'm, I just I'm with you. don't get any of it. It no, doesn't I, make any sense. It makes no sense. I'm with you. But it is funny. It's nutty. Is skinny for or against the Mets players giving the thumbs down sign to their fans? <laughs> I'd lean more towards against. Um, I mean, booing, booing guys is not a new phenomenon. And, you know, that I hate to say it's part of it, but it is part of it. It's part of being a player. You get the accolades when you're going well and you're going to get booed when you're going bad. And in between, you're going to get paid millions of dollars to, to do it. So 
I, I just don't understand what their end game with that was. What, what did they think they were proving to, to, to turn the fans against you even further? Yeah. You think you're going to win that battle? Yeah, you're not. How about you do this? How about you go get a, have a better at bat on a nightly basis and play better? No player or team or organization has ever looked good by saying bad things about their fans or getting into a war with their fans. It never is a good look for you as a team organization or player. So this was a horrible idea from a standpoint of what your job is and the fact that it's not going to make these people like you more or cheer for you more. And it, unless you're just going to leave town, I mean, it, there's really no upside here for you to doing this. It's funny. Again, I, I it's heard, something that is pretty funny that they did well, it. But I, this I, is I, such I, a social media era thing. Yeah, I heard a radio host, um, a national guy over the weekend when I was driving. I can't remember. It might have been Fox. I, 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 it's neither here nor there. But he made a point. He said, listen, I've been a Mets fan for, for going on 40 years now. So, you know, most of most of his, you know, my, my whole life that I've been able to cognizantly watch the Mets, that's been my team. He said, you know, these guys, for the most part, are, are somewhat mercenaries, right? They come in for a year. They're out, you know, to the next team and they're making the next man. So he said, I'm more fully invested in the Mets than they are. Uh, he said, so if if my investment is that I'm going to boo you because you're not playing well in that moment, I think I earned that right as a, as a, as a fan, you've earned the right to, to, to play the game, earn your millions and pick up and go if you want, but you're gone somewhere else. I'm still loving my team. I'm not expecting you to love my team. I'm expecting you to perform well. And if you don't, I may have to tell you boo. Yeah. I, just, I, I don't really agree with any of that. I, I mean, I, I think, I think the I fans did. who boo are idiots personally. Like, yeah, I'm not a big boo guy, but at the same time, I, I you know, I don't see the the whole we're going to show you fans by putting the thumbs down. It's like, OK, yeah, you'll be on to the next team next year, fella. Yeah. And maybe that is actually the point. You know, I mean, the fact that they're mercenaries, I think a lot of fans forget that you care way more about your team than these guys yes. do, especially at the college level. Like fans want it to mean so much to these guys, but especially they don't have any connection. Their parents didn't go there. Their family didn't go there. Right. They're probably from another part of the country. They might not be there for four years anyway. So like. Yeah, a lot of these guys don't have a deep connection to your team the way you do, and they don't care about it like you do. So when you start booing them or getting in their mentions on Twitter or whatever, they probably are going to be like, F this, I don't care about you. So I, I get how that happens, but it's just like if you're a millionaire and an adult, it's wild to think going out and publicly booing them or doing a thumbs down after you get like a double is a mature or reasonable thing to do. It's just stupid. It's not going to yeah. look good. It's not going to play out well for you. Uh, the college stuff, I think fans are getting way too over the top. And again, I think this is something that only comes from social media because if it was only booze during a game, I don't think the players would care that much. The difference is they're booed at the game. They come home, they open up their social media. They're getting called every name in the book. Someone maybe wants to kill their family or something. Yeah, and, that, and, that, and, th and there is a line. There's no question there's a line, Rick. Sure, but th but it is 100% a thing where it just didn't happen before social media. Like players no, would not get into this back and forth. They agreed. wouldn't be this in their feelings and they wouldn't have this thin of skin. But that's where we're at in society these days. People just don't feel like they have to take that. And to a certain extent, I understand it, but I also don't think it's ever going to make them look good in the public opinion. No, agreed. All right. And finally, skinny, what do you think of the PGA tour cracking down on fans yelling Brooksy at Bryson DeChambeau? <laughs> I, I wish they just cracked down on all the nonsense, you know, potato head. In the hole. I mean, honestly, just shut up. That, 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 I, I get so tired of that stuff. So I, I think I think DeChambeau is a little thin skin if that's getting under his skin. Yeah. Um, so I, to me, that 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 just sounds kind of babyfied, to be quite frank. 
But I also think those people that yell just to yell because they can go home and go, All right, did you record it? That's me. That's me yelling mashed potato. Good for you, guy. I mean, really? That is stupid when fans do that. But one, it's also golf. Like people trying to take golf so seriously is comical to me. It is grown men whacking a little white ball around with metal sticks. Like the idea that this needs to be like it's mass and you've got to be reverent and all this stuff is just bizarre. Okay. I mean, I've never understood that. I think it's bad for the sport that people want it to be that way. So I don't care at all how the fans act. The specific situation here, though, if I'm Bryson DeChambeau, there is no way in hell I'm going to let I this would, get out. That I would let the PGA make this announcement or do this for on my behalf. There's no way. I mean, it makes you look so soft for one. And yes. second of all, what is if you're annoyed by something, the last thing you ever want to do is let people know that you're annoyed by it. Because then it's going to get worse. Of course. That's what happened the first time when he freaked yep. out on fans and, and people knew that he was getting mad about it. It started happening more. Now it's gotten to the point where it's crazy and it's happening all the time at every golf event and everywhere he goes. That's on him. But asking them to stop it now because it, it it's too much, it's just going to get even worse. And he's going to be embarrassed even more. So I don't know where these guys grew up. Like how you could get to the point where you're a millionaire and you're th- this high level of anything and an adult. He's called not- me Brooksy. You better make him stop. How do you not understand basic human interaction? Like you went to grade school, right? You saw what happened when agitators realize that they're getting under your skin. They're going to agitate you more. What? Why would you want to provide them with fuel for that? Yeah, I mean, and he acts like a douche anyway. Um, that doesn't help. I, I love, I love his game. I like what he did. You know, he obviously transformed his body and and. He's, he's an interesting guy to watch. And you know me, I'm a big golf guy, but he does come off as a douche. And this way he comes off as a baby douche. So that's even worse. I think it, the rivalry is definitely good for the sport. Doesn't hurt. I don't know. Like to me, this stuff is the soap opera type stuff, which I always think helps all sports. Like we always talk about in football, people get mad about the back and forth and all the I off mean, the I, field I, stuff. I think it's actually really good. Those storylines and narratives help keep the sport going when there's not a game going on. And I think most golf fans are, are both golf. I think most golf fans are dying for them to be in a, in a, in a, in a pairing together um, or dying for them to be actually partners in, on, on the, on the Ryder cup team. I mean, that, that would be, that would be delicious to watch. That would yeah, be awesome. These two idiots are so, not even self-aware enough to realize that it'd be great for their brands and for the sport of golf for right. them to do something like that and keep it going. But instead they, they want to not see each other ever. And Bryson wants people to stop saying Brooksy to him. I mean, it, yeah. it, it, it's in some ways it's like, how could you be this dumb? But the other, in other ways, it's like, it's good that you are because it almost makes it funnier that you don't have the self-awareness to realize agreed. what's going on. No, agreed. Yeah. Great stuff. Yeah, so that's all we got for this week. All right, good stuff. Appreciate it as always. Thanks for the questions. Uh, good luck if you're placing wagers this weekend. Always wager responsibly. Uh, for Rick Roaring, I'm Richard Skinner. This has been the Skinny Podcast, the weekly Pope edition, brought to you by Ryan Kiefer of Prime Lending.